In Estonia, you can vote online and get your pizza delivered by a robot. So it's not surprising that Estonia is the country that's putting the E in e-education. But full digital integration might not be the only reason schools are so good there. That's why I'm talking to Estonia's ambassador at large for education, Bridget Lau, so she can give us the secret sauce. I'm Clara Young, and I work in the OECD's Education and Skills Directorate. Estonia was the top performing European country in PISA 2018 in reading, math, and science. But funnily enough, it doesn't spend so much on education as a lot of other countries. In fact, it spends about 30% less than the OECD average. It's also a pretty fair system. The difference between how students from wealthier backgrounds do on the PISA reading assessment and how more disadvantaged students did really wasn't very big. Estonia reformed its education system 20 years ago, and now it's seeing the results. So thank you for speaking to me, Bridget. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to begin with a first question that I'm quite curious about, mainly because I was quite agonized over heavy school bags when my children were going to school. You have something in Estonia called the e-school bag, and it's where the, the most of the textbooks or all the textbooks are in the cloud, so kids don't have to be carrying heavy bags around. Could you tell us about that? So yes, the school bag in Estonia has been uh, in clouds for 10 years, but it started as a step-by-step. So the school bag now is full, but at the beginning, we added materials little by little. And the challenge started with the fact that the publishing houses uh, 10 years ago made workbooks, materials they used at schools only available on paper-based format. So we were aware that teachers won't adopt the digital change immediately, also the students, because the skills are not present. If the skills are, they are not really equal. So we uh, had an agreement with the private sector, who's the provider of uh, study materials here in Estonia, that little by little we add to the paper-based materials also a digital format. But now we have a dual system. So yes, you can have your e-school bag, and you can have it everywhere in the world. But if you want to remain with the paper-based materials, you can carry your real school bag as well. Or you, you can combine if it's, if it's your fish and, and if teachers are fine with that. So yes, with additional digital steps, we provide alternatives. And to be honest, it was one of the wisest choices if we look back from the times of COVID. So it really helped to, to, move, to move online with the learning and teaching. Yeah, Estonia was uh, particularly well prepared for the remote schooling. Your use of uh, software in in education goes all the way back to even kindergarten. You have quite quite extensive kindergarten software. Could you could you talk about that and also how you develop that with your education technologists? We're quite interested in knowing how you work together to develop platforms for learning. Yes, I have to say that all the content, uh, the platforms, and the edtech tools are provided by the private sector. So. It starts with a very strong cooperation and also trust and also sharing the expectations from public sector side, what what are the weaknesses and where we need the private sector input. Uh, the second key point, what you also mentioned, is the presence of educational technologists. Uh, those are not teachers. I would say those are the help aides or helpers of the teachers to step into the world of digitalization They help to create the content, they help with the tools, they help with the solutions. And again, it's a very good background support also to kindergarten teachers and primary teachers. But are they are they teachers? 
No, they are not. Uh, they could be by profession, but it's an sort of like a master level course they have to follow for two years in the university, and after that they can they can become also education technologists. Sometimes they are teachers as well, but sometimes they are from completely different background who made a career change and uh, want to start their profession in a field of technology. So very diverse background, but uh, definitely the prerequisite is to have a previous bachelor education. About the tools used, yes, the first tool in a kindergarten was actually a learning management system, which is aimed to diminish the administrative burden of teachers and uh, kindergarten management, but also to, to work as a communication tool between the parents and, and kindergarten. And same for the primary schools. It's the tool to, yes, uh, save teachers' time for teaching. It's the tool for parents to actually see how well their children are doing. Are they missing the school? What are the grades? What are the assignments? So for uh, first and and uh, for most, it's yeah the transparency tool. That's that's great to hear because in Talus 2018 survey results, one of the one of the things that jumps out is that teachers are much more effective when they can spend more time in the classroom actually teaching and not dealing with administrative. So in Estonia, I guess the administrative burden is much, much lighter. Uh, yes, I think in overall society, we have a quite flat structure and 99% of public services are online. So it's sort of like a custom to use online solutions and also for education, because indeed you have this uh, opportunity to enter or print uh, information in once and it's actually getting everywhere, starting from the statistics, from assignments, uh, the subjects, everything. So it really helps uh, teachers to save time uh, in the times where the teacher profession or teaching profession is, is tries to fit in the 35 hours of teaching in Estonia, but actually they spend the average 60. So yes, any tools that could ease the burden are highly welcome here. Another interesting thing is that Estonian school children, but then also then obviously teachers, spend less time in the classroom compared to other OECD countries. That's quite an interesting finding considering how well Estonia is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, one of the shortest school years and quite generous uh, school holiday system. So yes, two and a half months are free in summer. And then in addition, we have four holidays. So this is quite a lot, but I think it's the same. So we have agreed on a national level uh, with the national curriculum, what are the most important subjects and how many hours have to be spent on teaching them. But there's also quite significant flexibility left to the schools to decide how they will meet any uh, demands and study outcomes described in a national curriculum, what methods they use, what materials they use, and also what are the additional voluntary subjects uh, to be introduced in the school curriculum. So every school within its autonomy has found it's the most efficient way that the school day is not longer than uh, seven, eight hours. But then again, you will meet all the uh, criteria that is written down in the national curriculum. One thing now that we're schools are shifting back or even entirely back in some countries to physical teaching in the classroom. 
I think that there is a rethink about how much time, just the distribution of, of learning between being in school physically and then the work that students do at home. What What's Estonia's thinking on that and from what we've learned in, during the pandemic? We have done quite surveys on, on well-being and satisfaction of the hybrid learning. We call it hybrid learning because not necessarily at home you have to spend all the time online. You can also learn offline if you wish. So uh, roughly, I would say, uh, we had this um, outcome that 40% were quite happy, even happier than in classroom-based learning. 40 or 35% said it doesn't really make a difference. And then there was a, for us, quite a big uh, share that said that they, they are doing actually worse. And the statistics prove it. How can we know it? It's the same usage of the online study materials and entering the learning management system. So we could say that, or we could see that uh, some didn't really participate at the full extent. Some weren't as far as they used to be compared to the other cohorts from previous years. So again, this uh, online or digital learning tools and materials gave us the assurance and evidence that quite big proportion of students didn't do that well. But I think if we mirror the situation now back to the classroom-based learning, then it's a different way of learning than it used to be because we are aware of the special needs that the students have on learning the same topic. Some need different methods, some need different approaches, some need more guidance. And we are quite aware of those like learning gaps that actually occurred. So lots of additional work is needed to be done by the teachers. So thus, we also have financed um, additional uh, learning uh, support. So there are lots of catching up activities going on also, but it's based on personal need. And I would uh, definitely predict that this trend will continue. We won't see this ending, the aid need for, for uh, many years now. Uh, so I, I assume that your analysis of learning gaps was done with learning analytic tools. And what were the sort of the top, what were, what were the, the most crucial areas where there needs to be catch up? It's actually, we could say that uh, it's the absence of uh, general competences. So, so self-directed learning skills, which is quite evident that younger children are developing self-directed learning skills. They are not really 100% uh, present. So this online or distance learning where you have to be in charge of your own learning, you have to manage your own time is not suitable for younger kids. Those who perform better were the children uh, 14, 15 plus. So upper secondary can easily adjust to hybrid learning quite fast. And those who will suffer are those who are starting their journey at school. And also it's the amount of guidance and personal feedback. We are having a very good assessment culture here. So we don't examine the children in a way that we, we only have like uh, final exams. We have lots of assessment tools, whether it be level-based assessment. Mm -hmm. So they happen every three years and assess the learning outcomes okay. um, acquired. And also diagnostic tests, which are now more and more built into the study materials so that uh, we can, teacher and the student can be assured that the material was adapted or not. So those are needed. 
And this feedback also creates the personal learning uh, track. And this personal support was really, really missed in times of hybrid learning. And also, I think the grading was a little bit uh, hard because the comparison with others was lost. And what students themselves said, that what they missed is the interaction with fellow students and possibility to do group work. It's interesting when you talk about the personal learning, because what we've been finding with uh, using AI in teaching and learning is that it could be quite useful in allowing students to work on their own through different levels, and that it could be quite effective at seeing, oh, what are some building blocks that students are missing in perhaps a math concept that they are trying to learn and and then giving perhaps more exercises on something to strengthen an area. Do you think Estonia will be using AI in uh, helping certain students uh, close these learning gaps and to learn on their own? Yes, this is the direction we are uh, aiming. The first steps uh, for using more AI has been done, but uh, definitely it's a long way still to go. And also, there are so many unanswered questions and, and challenges and risks. But yes, it's something we like to develop together with uh, countries who think about they, using the AI in education. And are you developing uh, so- software with the education technologists now to to fill in that gap? Yes, it's a project we have uh, have been working within like last couple, two, three years. We try to build sort of like a learning backbone. We call the personal learning track, which collects uh, data or inter- exchanges data, despite of what kind of edtech solution is uh, used for learning. So it's uh, sort of like a cooperation platform where edtechs can plug in, exchange information. And, and from the state perspective, we have a good track of the lifelong learning uh, span of the learner. And from this data, of course, I think the sky is only the limit what we can do and what we can predict from there. Now, that naturally leads us to the next question is how is Estonia dealing with the privacy of student data? Yes, it's the, well, Estonia is a member of the EU, so the GDPR rules are here uh, to be followed. And uh, of course, our solutions are in line with that. But then again, there are so many different uh, options of IDs that you can use for providing this information. So for education, we also have on the side of national ID, we have educational ID. And the core rule is that you, you have the key to unlock the information. And you only have the right to sort of share this uh, data with others. So if if the person is not willing to do that, definitely we won't collect it uh, without the consent But I think technology uh, can also enable us this opportunity that we don't have to go that personal in in order to have the state, state perspective. But if you want the AI to help you, then you have to provide this information. I have a question about how Estonia is dealing with platforms for learning software. Do you have a multiplicity of platforms and are they able to cross-reference are you or are you building a learning software onto existing commercial platforms that are already in wide use by students and teachers? Well, to be honest, that the cross reference is not fully there. Uh, this is where we want to go with building this backbone service uh, from the state uh, perspective. But uh, the big platforms are there as well. 
I think what is different in Estonia is that almost all education solutions or ethics solutions are sort of homegrown. Those are local. So far, no bigger players have entered in the market, mainly because it's very small. Uh, only uh, 1.3 million people and a couple of hundred thousand students. So the market is really small. So that's why... When you, when you mean by big players, are you meaning by edtech companies? Yes, big edtech companies. Of course, okay. the plat platform providers are there, but at most widely used Google Classroom is here, so they use it. But again, if you play fair sort of uh, include the age restrictions, then lots of big things are not really allowed here. So it, we have to figure out our own solutions. And so far, it has we have been successful in a sense. Uh, from the school perspective, I could understand that having, I don't know, 30, 40 different applications is really confusing. So that, that's why we have uh, sort of a learning management system providers uh, who can act, organize your your desk for that. So everything is actually linked uh, and uh, it's not really difficult anymore. It was difficult a couple of years ago, but now the clarity is here. So. That's good to hear. One thing I found interesting is that is that while Estonia spends less per student than the average in OECD countries, your capital expenditure is one of the highest in the OECD. Can you talk about this? Yes, education expenditure is, is something we have been tracking actually quite some time now. I think it reflects the efficiency within a system. But at the same time, for example, we have quite generous system because average number of pupils per teacher is 14. So this is luxurious, but it actually reflects that we have very small schools and we have very big schools. So the school network is quite big, so more than 500 schools. The efficiency comes from the data which is available and which is sort of like a prerequisite to produce from the school level in order to get funding. So if, for example, um, school wants to have investment into connectivity, or in technological equipment, they have to do the digital uh, maturity assessment uh, with all the costs involved. So we will have the clear picture on what we invest in, uh, what will be the possible benefit. So I would say that having very extensive data on different sectors of edu starting from education management to ending up with uh, student progress enables us to be very specific, uh, very efficient, and also track down uh, basically each euro which goes into the school. And is it the is the funding come entirely from uh, the Ministry of Education and the central government or, uh, you know, how, how, what is the involvement of uh, more local government with, for example, raising funds and things like that? Yes, it's actually, yeah, it comes from the central budget to the local government budget, who's usually adding some, some of their own expenditures, and then they distribute it to the schools. There are some cost lines which have to be present because it, de it depends on, uh, for example, the number of students, let's say the um, allocations to school books, allocations to uh, food or school lunches, as we say, and allocations to teacher training, for example. 
So those are sort of like earmarked depending on a number of teachers or students. And then, of course, there's a, those are educational, other educational costs uh, we distribute uh, via the local government. But indeed, the local governments, they, they pay uh, extra or they, they spend extra. And what is maybe also important to know that uh, 96% of schools are public and only 4% are private. So it's... Uh, for the student, for the parent, it's the free public education system, what we have. Ashley, could you talk about in integrating uh, non-Estonian speakers, your, your, your Russian student um, population? Yes, this hasn't been the fact which is very well known, but since we started participating in PISA, the growth mainly has uh, come from the fact that we have quite well integrated our Russian-speaking uh, youth, uh, meaning that at the beginning they were a year and a half behind from Estonian-speaking students and uh, targeting uh, concrete actions to Russian-speaking minority, uh, teacher training, quality uh, education materials, also rebuilding the schoolhouses. Uh, has, has played effect. Also, uh, we have had uh, 20 years of experiences in language immersion programs. So we could say that uh, onboarding uh, non-Estonian speakers, uh, there are other minor languages as well here, uh, has been very successful. So the growth has come from from uh, non-Estonian speakers catching up with Estonian speakers. And uh, the difference is now almost uh, non-existing. So we could, well, we joke sometimes that we have the best education in Russian in the world. <laughs> so keeping the language uh, of teaching in Russian. Yeah, so. And are, are, are the Russian students integrated into regular classroom? Do they have their own, are they, do they tend to be in their own schools or their own classrooms? How does that work? It's actually the decision of the parent. So more and more um, the schools are integrated, the classes are integrated because not only we have uh, Russian speaking, but we have more and more uh, English or any other language speaking pupils at school. But there are, are still uh, Russian speaking schools up to the ninth grade. And after ninth grade, the language of teaching is only Estonian. So they have to be ready to learn, continue the studies in Estonian at the age of 15. And system before that uh, has to make it, uh, make sure that slowly they start to have subjects in Estonian. So, but it's based okay. on language immersion. So it's uh, sort of, it works the best when the children are mixed in mixed classes. Okay. Thank you. Well, Bridget Lau, thank you very much for speaking to me. Uh, welcome. <laughs> and thanks very much for listening to this podcast. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about the OECD's work on education, check out our Twitter page. Our handle is at OECD EDU Skills.